CliffCentral.com. We're done. <laughs> <laughs> we're enjoying that song so much that we're just done like that. Watulanje. You know. Eish. South Africa Watulanje. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Should we start that again? That was black coffee just putting us to sleep on a Sunday afternoon. He was not putting us to sleep. He's saying, he's saying, Watulanje. You keep quiet. The country is up in flames. You keep quiet. No, we keep quiet. Watulanje. Because it's a Sunday and we must keep Watula, quiet. Watula, Sunday in whose world? Sanbanan <laughs> Noke. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the show. It's frankly speaking, one hour of talking about the issues that we should be speaking about, but seem to ignore in the South African, uh, in the South African conversation. Um, my name is Andrew Levy here with Rory Sang Shabalala. Good morning. Dumelang. Saabona. Ache. Lekai. Jeez, I don't even know. Now you're confusing me with so many things. Kunjan. It's Kunjan. Oh, That's all you know. So I'll just answer you. Fantastic. We're getting there. We're getting there. Um, Rory, we, we've got some interesting stuff happening on the show today. Um, some interesting guests as well. We're speaking to Ati uh, Nangam. Nangomso. Nangamso. Nangamso. Mm. I think she's close. Social activist. Social activist. Mm. Um, she's an Oxford uh, alumni as well. Uh, we've also got the head of stats SA, the, what do they call them? The Secretary General. The Statistician General. The Statistician <laughs> the statistician general, Mr. Paddy Statistician general, Paddy. Yes, Doctor Paddy Lohotla. Okay, we're going to speak to him as well. What are we speaking to these people about? So the key thing is uh, today we're looking at, uh, frankly speaking, is there still a link? Uh, Twenty plus years after apartheid ended, is there still a link between? Uh, poverty between race and between apartheid. Can we still blame uh, the, the the apartheid for poverty that 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 people are experiencing in this day and age, uh, or is it all just a function now of people not not applying themselves, of people not uh, being educated, uh, or is or do we still continue to look at things and say? But heck, there is still there is still a link. White people are still destined to succeed, while black people are still destined for poverty. Uh, so this is a question. Most of us, uh, obviously, around the bribes and so on, engage in these sorts of questions. And I know that a lot of people genuinely believe that black people, almost by default, are meant to be poor. You know, and it's it's a uh, it's it's one of those things where we don't actually engage with. Uh, the issue of why do we have such a disproportionality as far as uh, race and poverty are concerned. So here are some stats just to just to set it up. Research published by Stats SA early in the year found that in 2014, as many as 1.5 million of the 5.1 million unemployed people were looking for a job for more than five years. Now, over the period 2008 to 2014, the incidence of long-term employment was highest amongst black Africans, with as many as 61 to 71 percent of that group looking for work for one year or longer. The unemployment rate, however, among the white population group it ranges between 4.1% in 2008 and 7.3% in 2014. Mm-hmm. is the lowest of all the population groups by a large margin. So just let's help those who are who are just itching. Uh let, let's help those who are now itching to just uh, try and and start a fight. Um the issue here is not about quantities, it's about proportions. It's 
that percentage of black people, about 61 to 71 percent of black people have been unemployed for a very long period of time, while only 7 percent of, 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 of white South Africans uh, have been unemployed for that long. So mm-hmm. the question is, what, 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 what's happening there? Is it, a, is it a, a coincidence or are we still stuck within the legacy of the past? Well, a man who knows all about this and uh, has, has made it his life's mission to find out the stats behind all the, the talk in South Africa, behind the rhetoric, is uh, Dr. Padi Lehotla. Uh, Dr. Lehotla, thank you so much for joining us today. Good morning. How are you doing? You're in Tunisia or Tunis? In Tunis, in, in Tunis, yes. Wow, I don't even. Where is that? I don't even. <laughs> that's how. That's how African <laughs> I am, you know. Is <laughs> that the tip of uh, the African continent on the north? Side. We have the tip in south. Uh, Tunis is the tip in the north. Oh, lovely. Uh, Dr. Lohotla, thank you so much for joining us. So today we're discussing uh, whether 20 plus years after uh, the fall of apartheid, uh, there still remains a link between uh, race uh, and poverty in South Africa. Obviously, the stats coming from Stats SA are quite shocking. About 60, 61 to 71% of black Africans have been unemployed for a long period of time, while only about 7% of white South Africans. So this tends to indicate that there is still a very strong link, but there are still arguments in society that say, no, after all this time, it can't be. Um, we can't still be blaming apartheid. We can't still be saying it's based on race. It must be based on other factors. You are the man with the numbers in front of you. Can we still make the case that 20-plus uh, years after the fall of apartheid, there's still a link between race, apartheid, and poverty? Well, I think uh, there is a link in terms of uh, human resources. And uh, when you leave out human resources, you focus on education, which is the food for the brain. Uh, And uh, from that perspective, this can be understood. And uh, one of the most important things uh, is uh, this technology, uh, which emerged uh, after the Asian Tigers showed that uh, population counts uh, and uh, that... uh, something called the demographic dividend. And uh, this dividend is generational. Mm. So you, you can't expect a quick shift uh, from in 20 years to see real change mm. uh, after the brutal discrimination, particularly in black people education. And of course, uh, uh, we the, the, the doors of learning opened, but uh, as they opened, uh, it was with very poor education. Um, there was no focus on quality education. So there is no doubt uh, blacks uh, will always be at the bottom of the of the of the of the of the, of the pile uh, because the education system is not uh, focused, it's not uh, quality, uh, and it's not transformative in the way that uh, is needed. Uh, so white advantage will persist for generations to come, unfortunately, mm. uh, and the, the blacks are not going to get a demographic dividend. So there has been a, a democratic dividend mm. uh, in terms of freedom of speech, but uh, a demographic dividend in terms of the economics, and uh, that is not going to happen in South Africa. Mm. Um, and th- th- that is where the issue of education is so crucial. Mm. that we must understand that uh, having lost the wings that come with uh, a population base, it means it will be harder and harder. Therefore, Whatever we spend as education, yes, we spend a lot of money on education. 
but we are confronted with a different form of difficulty, which is the waves of benefit that would have come. We have lost that. So, over 20 years. Uh, uh, oh, yes, we have lost that. We have lost it in 1976. We have lost it now. Mm. Uh, and then we, we, we lost it before. Mm. So we have had a, a, a reduction, a, trans, a demographic transition, very, very successful demographic transition in South Africa. Mm. Uh, without a, a, a demographic dividend. That demographic transition meant that fertility dropped in South Africa very, very dramatically, but for the wrong reasons. And mm. it didn't mm. drop because blacks were educated. It, it was HIV. Apartheid fed them mm. uh, contraceptives. Mm. So uh, it, it, these are a very, very vulgar, uh, vulgarized system of transition. And we see uh, apartheid all over. Mm. Doc- it doesn't absolve uh, the 20 years from blame because a lot of things happen. Yeah. If, when you look at the data, things like the, 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 the technical colleges were closed. Mm. Uh, and blacks didn't have an outlet to go to. And you will see that in the numbers, in the skills, people who are skilled who are employed. The people who are 25 to 34, that percentage dropped from 18% to 16%. Amongst Indians and whites, that percentage rose 20 percentage points wow. from about 40 to 60. Wow. For the same age group. Yeah. So buried in the in the numbers is the fact that blacks will not see the benefits of a demographic uh, dividend. Dr. Buddy, Buddy, you're speaking in very scary terms because you're speaking in future tense. You're saying they will not see. Um, for how long will black people not see it? And, and, and is it, is it, is it a function of education? Is that the biggest uh, driver? It is the biggest driver. I mean, the human beings, the only thing they have is the brain to uh, change their environment. And uh, if you deprive that part of the, of the anatomy, uh, it's food, it will be malnourished. Yeah. So, so it's impossible. It's basically impossible in South Africa unless you dramatically change uh, the, 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 the education. Dr. Lehosha. Impact on the education. I think uh, I'm just uh, listening to you at the moment. I just want to clarify something. Are you saying that uh, through your words, you're saying that um, a lot of black people aren't valuing the education or aren't getting the education that is needed in order to change the situation? No, the, the black people are in a situation where change is not going to occur. And it is because of the demographics themselves. Mm. That is, amongst whites, their fertility, that is the number of children that are born per white family, reduced because of education amongst whites. Mm. It was not because of uh, contraception. Contraception came as a consequence of education. Mm. Amongst blacks, there was no education. Contraception came as a consequence of a a distorted apartheid system Mm -hmm. that led to my greater labor system. Yes. Banishing men and women for years, months, and uh, they had to resort to contraception. So the transition was not driven by education. It was driven by uh, contraception, which was a vulgarized form of a demographic transition. And therefore, it cannot yield a demographic dividend. Hmm. And these are the things that South Africans must understand. Uh, Dr. Lohotla, 
let's let's uh, because these are big terms um and and I think we just want to also understand it and break it down today um two children are born or maybe let's say 10 years ago uh, two children are born same time same same time um on the same date but one is black and one is white um from what we see currently in the statistics it looks like their lives if they're the average white child and the average black child their lives are going to end up in very different places what are those critical inf- can you hear us Yes. Yes, I'm saying when when a child is born, a black child, the average black child is born, let's say 10 years ago and the average white child is born 10 years ago. Uh it seems their lives are going to to end up in two very different places if you just look at the numbers uh and the statistics. What are the critical areas in which the, their lives begin to almost take on very divergent paths? That the average black child and the white child born at the same time in a democratic South Africa, but still it seems their lives are just destined to end up in two very different places? Well, there are a number of things. I mean, a, a black person um, uh, will be with a grandmother. That's what's going to happen. And still end up with a grandmother who doesn't uh, know how to read and write, who cannot deal with the modern uh, education system. A white child will be in a family where the father and the mother reason right, uh, they will uh, most probably have completed their high school, be employed, they will most probably have gone to technicons and uh, uh, university. Mm. The mother probably will be staying at home and bringing these children up. Mm. The black child will be fending for himself. 60% of the fathers say they are married against 80% of mothers. 60% of the mothers uh, will say they, they are uh, fathers are say they are married against eight percent of mothers. The child in that space do not know who to go to to ask for school fees hmm. because uh, if half the, the mothers say they are married and double the fathers say they are married, hmm. and that already says that uh, fathers don't know who they are married to, and hmm. therefore they cannot take responsibility for their children. That's the situation in the black family. Wow. So under those circumstances, a black child already starts with a very major social disadvantage. Dr. So, uh, the, the, the father may say, well, the, as the child is there, then of course the courts have to chase them for maintenance and all these other things and dehumanize women. Mm. So we, we have a very serious a problem uh, in South Africa that we are not confronting and the, the sociology of it uh, is not well understood. Mm. Dr. Lohotla, yes. let's, let's, so if we, if we look at the topic today, which is uh, apartheid, uh, race and poverty and the linkages between the two, from what, from what we're hearing you say, you're saying that actually a lot of it just has to do with, uh, with, with the way that uh, one, if it's education, it means the way that government is behaving, and then two, if it's family dynamics, it's 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 in the way that uh, people are, are behaving within their family units. Are you saying, am I? Are we understanding you correctly that the biggest driver of poverty today uh, is less about apartheid and and more to do with behaviors at a government level through education and through uh, family behavior? Um, no, 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 not at all. <laughs> Uh, if you read uh, Harold Wolpe and uh, Martin Lagasse, uh, 
mm. uh, discussing this issue of dissolution conservation, uh, which means the mode of production, which is capitalist, mm. uh, disguised itself uh, in the superstructure of uh, social relations at home mm. uh, in rural areas uh, and uh, corrupted uh, the, 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 those relations, corrupted the, 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 the formations in tradition. Mm. So the traditional leadership was no longer anchored in peasant economy. Mm. It was basically a capitalist a economy, capitalist corrupted mm. and, uh, you know, vulgarized by, by, by apartheid. So it cannot not be because of apartheid. Mm. I'm just uh, pointing to the characteristics that epitomize the consequences of a corrupted and uh, uh, vulgarized system, which, whose implications fall on the blacks, uh, or rather negative implications have fallen on the blacks all the time, and we continue to do so because we have not as yet addressed uh, these root causes of a vulgarized uh, capitalist system by apartheid. That special, that speciality of apartheid created a, 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 a formation uh, that is so, so vulgarized that it shows in the numbers, and uh, it will perpetuate those numbers. So in the main, as I say, in terms of uh, demographic transition theory and what drives the uh, transitions, it's education. In South Africa, it wasn't education, it was contraception. Mm. And contraception without education yields uh, a lumpen population that uh, cannot find work, cannot have skills. Yet they have gone through a demographic transition. Mm. So the benefits of that transition were transferred to whites. Mm. Uh, that is why 44% of them in the age group 15 to uh, 20 to 34, are graduates, ensure, ensuring that the future for them is guaranteed. Mm. Against 9% of blacks who are graduates, but in the skill level, in employment, 18% of them were in those, and now they are back at 16%, mm. versus whites in the same age group who are uh, in skilled jobs uh, at 60%. Uh, and of course, what we have to look at is the Indian population, which was subjected to the same kind of repression. Mm. How they managed to get out of that. And actually, almost toe-to-toe now are making white. So there is a laboratory in South Africa that we can look at and say, how do we solve this problem? Mm. We, uh, we're chatting to Dr. Paddy Lehotla. He's the statistician general at uh, StatsSA. Clearly he knows a lot more than just the numbers, uh, <laughs> schooling us on a whole bunch of things. Uh, we're asking, uh, is poverty and racism different sides of the same coin in South Africa? Uh, Dr. Lehotla, um, Neville Alexander wrote a piece around the, the idea of the problems in, in South Africa are mainly related to the system of capitalism. You, you've touched on that slightly. If you, you know, I read one of your articles and, and you, you uh, referenced uh, South Korea and how they have now, uh, you know, they were oppressed by the Japanese. They found their independence a little, a little bit into the 1950s and they now have a 65% uh, graduate um, population, uh, which is actually higher than their colonizers of Jap- Japan at 57%. Is it a case of South Africa is not using the system correctly? I mean, capitalism is going to be around for, for, for a long time to come, supposedly. 
And um, certain, you know, Asian tiger countries have used capitalism to the benefit of its people um, and raised them all up through education. South Africa seems to be in a very different place. Um, Is it a case of South Africa not using uh, capitalism and the capitalistic structures to, to their benefit? Well, I think uh, the, the, the system was vulgarized by apartheid. Uh, if it was not vulgarized by apartheid, uh, probably there would be a different story now. But that vulgarization has gone so deep that uh, it has led disadvantage uh, of a nature that is race-based. So uh, that has complicated uh, matters, uh, the greatest, uh, and uh, allocated advantage uh, in the way it has allocated it. Um, and... Um, I'm not saying that uh, capitalism is bad or it's good. I, I think I, I have a, a very uh, great concern about uh, that system. However, given that it exists, uh, when it is vulgarized through apartheid and then disguises uh, person modes of production as though they are peasant and the tradition and everything, right. uh, when actually those are capitalists. Mm. Then it's a bigger problem. And if we don't understand that uh, dissolution, conservation, dichotomy, uh, that Wolpe and Lagasse uh, and Laclau uh, talk about, uh, then we are missing a bigger point, a, a, the greatest point, in terms of what the challenges in South Africa. And then we add to that our misunderstanding and not actually appreciating what a lost uh, demographic wave is. Uh, the consequences of that. The consequences of that, unlike in Japan, unlike in China, mm-hmm. where they went through a very uh, dramatic population control of one child, attendant to that, they strengthened the education. And in the end, they got a demographic dividend. Now they are reversing that, realizing that that demographic dividend will disappear, and they are going in um, domestic consumption mode, domestic uh, consumption and production for the domestic market. And they have said now, we need two children in order that we sustain this demographic dividend. Mm-hmm. So the Chinese are very articulate. And when the census results of China in 2010 came out, they invited 25 of our sales uh, that was there too. And they said, what are the implications of the 2010 census on the Chinese economy? Mm. Uh, in South Africa, we don't do that, do we? Mm. Mm. So, so a lot of it, uh, Doc, has to do with this, the linkage between how we get our statistics uh, f- uh, feeding into policy, in, into shaping policy, is it? it it's just, are, are we, do we have this amazing department that you run, that, uh, but, but policymakers are not making use of what, what it's producing? Well, let me say that as uh, statisticians, we are not doing a good job in revealing uh, what uh, these numbers say. And I think uh, we've started in the few, last few years to drive this message what, as to the meaning of the numbers. Mm. And if only policy can respond to this, uh, then probably we go far. But at the moment, uh, the, the reaction is very lackluster. Uh, there's too much stamp cycling uh, in systems of government, unfortunately. Doctor, if I, if I had to put you with a magic wand into uh, Taubo Mbeki's shoes back in the day, um, so you, you took over from Nelson Mandela, what would you be doing 
what would you be doing differently or what would you be changing given what you call the vulgarization of apartheid, which I absolutely agree with? How would you change it now that we are in a democracy in a ca- capitalistic society? Uh, well, I think uh, the South Africa has uh, quite a, a, a landscape of resources uh, from its minerals, uh, from uh, its uh, population, mm-hmm. its diversity. But we have to understand that uh, we cannot have the kind of education we have. We can't have students in the streets saying we want to be educated and we don't have the resources to do so. Mm. I think this is a, a, a tragedy of immense proportions because it is only when we feed those brains that we can go forward. I mean, if you look at uh, the number of whites uh, that are graduates, uh, it's about 600,000 in the general population. Amongst blacks, uh, it's about uh, 800,000. Uh, blacks are 90% of the population, but uh, yet they are almost, in terms of crime, it's equal to. So blacks have to be uh, 10 times more than what whites are. So we have to have 5 million crime rates and not 800,000 or a million. You know? So the, the, these are the kinds of things that we must say. Toe to toe, these are the things that, this is where we should be. Obviously, blacks cannot be that number, given that apartheid uh, gave wholesale um, uh, advantage to whites. Mm. Probably we can look at uh, where Indians are. Uh, they are 97,000, uh, uh, more or less 100,000 crime rates, uh, and they are only 2% of the population. Suppose uh, that... Uh, uh, we were at that level of a uh, number of graduates equivalent uh, to, to, to the Indians. Maybe we were. But even there, um, that may require very, very radical uh, processes. So we actually have to look at where should we be rather than uh, what uh, the universities may accommodate. If it were not of the poor education that uh, matriculants fail, just imagine how many children would be at university and what would we do under those circumstances. Mm. I mean, we have hardly uh, conceived of a situation where if the uh, secondary education was working or high school education was working well and people passing into tertiary education, both TVET and uh, university, where would we be? I don't see a plan that says these are the numbers that we should produce mm. and these are the resources we have. Dr. Lohotla. I see something that says these are the numbers that we have. And uh, this is the limited money we have. So what do we do? That, that's not a plan. Yeah. D- Dr. Lohotla, I, I just want to, to, to understand because oh, I really wish when you're back in South Africa, we have to have you in studio because there's so much to unpack. Um, what you're speaking about, uh, but let's call it the inputs into the economy. So graduates going into the economy. But what happens then when the economy would not be able to absorb them? So right now, as you've mentioned previously, we are struggling with this, uh, with, with throughput through the tertiary education system, uh, and into the economy, uh, to, to, to turn, to turn graduates into productive, uh, to productive citizens. If we were to raise the throughput, uh, where would they be landing? Because the economic statistics that are coming out are showing a, a, a flat or at least a declining trend in terms of economic growth. Jobs are not being created. How would we create a balance there? Because having all of these graduates and still not having jobs would also create a big issue. 
Well, I mean, uh, it's only when people's brains work that uh, they can create jobs. When they, their brains are not working, they cannot create anything. Hmm. So what we are, we are, we are trapped in is a, a situation where people's brains are not functioning well and hmm. cannot solve problems. And we can only do that when we have trained people well. So the solution to our problems is in education rather than in constraining them from being educated. So if you look at uh, the unemployment rate of graduates, particularly of whites, it's about uh, 2%, 3%. Uh, so if we were to take whites as the model, it is quite possible then to train blacks to that level mm. and all of them get absorbed in the economy. A crime rate overall uh, have an 8% unemployment rate as against the 26% in the general population. Yeah. The economy has the, 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 the capacity, the capacity to absorb, to absorb, to absorb mm. more. Mm. Uh, so, and in fact, once we absorb more, we will generate uh, more jobs. Because so people will be productive a, in those jobs. Mm. It is the constraint of education that mm. is imposing this mega constraint on the economy. And uh, we are taking education probably as a cost and uh, not as investment. As an investment. And Doc, that, I think, is the Doc uh, before we let you go, you, you've mentioned how the Indian uh, demographic is, is the laboratory where we can see how it can be done. Can you give us a bit of insight into uh, what are the key things that have happened within the Indian community that have enabled it to rise at the level that, that it's risen? Um, is it, a, is it a, a coincidence or have there been uh, specific direct measures? And if so, by who to make sure that the Indian uh, community rises? In 1953, when Verbut asked the question on 17 September in Parliament, our Prime Minister Verbut said, what is the use of teaching Bantu children mathematics when they cannot, uh, mathematics when you cannot use it in practice, this Bantu? Mm. And uh, therefore there was Bantu education started. The Indians went a different trajectory. From that point on, when you look at the time plots, the Indians actually defied the logic of Verbut. They were at the same level as the Karats and the Blacks in terms of education anyway. Mm. But they took off a different direct uh, trajectory, both at the level of primary school and high school. And the Indians approached the whites by 2011. The Indians at high school had almost matched pound for pound uh, white uh, matriculants. The Blacks and Karats, although rose, uh, they rose at a very lackluster rate and never reached the, the level of Indians. When you look at graduation rates, Indians are up there. And of course, if you meet uh, the people who are Indians, you have gone through this, you can see they're educated, but when you unpack and talk to them, they say, my parents always said, education my child. Mm. Education my child. Uh, amongst blacks, yes, perhaps we talk about education, but also for good, we knew that when you had a, 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 a junior certificate, you be a Mabalani on the mind, and therefore metric was not necessary for blacks. Mm. So our our, our 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 targets were so low, mm. uh, unlike uh, the targets that uh, Indians had. So it's the same thing amongst colors. In fact, uh, you can see that uh, with the closure of the technicals, the colored progression ratios in terms of uh, uh, how they have gone in education have plummeted southward. So the, the Indians provide a very clear laboratory of how probably we could go. Of course, there are business people that are very enterprising, uh, and th those conditions may not necessarily exist amongst blacks, but they faced similar odds against themselves. Uh, 
as were imposed by apartheid. Wow, Doc, thank you so much uh, for, for, for your insights and for joining us from Tunis. Uh, can you make us a promise on air that you'll join us in studio to unpack these further when you're back? Uh, well, definitely. I mean, the statistics uh, are, are about evidence. They are not just numbers, they are about evidence. And driving this evidence carefully uh, elicits where problems are sequencing in terms of planning. They don't solve everything, uh, but uh, they are the salt of politics. And they are the salt of will. And there's no will unless the fact uh, talk to that uh, and inspire you. Uh, then you can see political will uh, when the data are there. That's the salt. Wow. Thank you so much, Doc. Uh, and have a lovely time in Tunis. We will, we will talk to you again soon. No, thank you very much, sir. Thank you. Thank you. That is Dr. Pabi uh, Lehosle. Wow. Uh, you can see the difference between honors degrees and doctorates, eh? right there. <laughs> Right there is the difference. <laughs> it's, it's really fascinating. So basically, he is saying that there is a link between um, apartheid, between race, and between poverty. Um, but he is saying that the key thing is education, which is uh, which is the driver. But the fact that we have the education, or the fact that black people are getting the education that they that 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 they've been getting, is as a result of the legacy of apartheid that hasn't been corrected, which then sits at the hands of those that have had the capacity and the power to, to correct that legacy. Yeah, well, it's also, there's, there's something in what you're saying, and, and I think we should definitely get him in further, but it was almost, and, and help me out, Rory, unpack, because, you know, there were some big words there, so I didn't understand all of them. But it was almost like he was saying that the reason why, for example, Indians versus blacks have become so much more competitive in the graduate space is because Indian people value education. By that, do you think he was saying that black people don't, as, as, a, as a whole, and obviously this is a generalization now, right? So I'm, I'm not that sure they he don't said, value education because I don't know if that's 100% true. I'm not sure the conversation was about valuing education as opposed to what did they do at that time. So from what I heard him say, mm. um, it was more around what happened within those communities at the time when... We're talking back in apartheid Back now. in apartheid okay. days, what happened then? And mm. it sounds like in the, in the Indian community, there, were, there was concerted effort uh, to, to defy, to defy, yes, to defy the apartheid system, uh, in terms of education. And, and there wasn't as much of an effort within the black community. Now, it, we don't know why there wasn't a concerted effort, whether it was deliberate or whether it was because we situational were, was, potentially. Yeah, yeah, because we do know there was a hierarchy, even amongst blacks in, in, in apartheid. So with the collective for, for the collective that is black. There were Indians, there were coloreds, and, 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 and black Africans were right at the bottom. So it wasn't, while we experienced the same, we didn't quite have the same limitations put on us. Mm-hmm. And as a result, it impacted everything. But I think the big word coming out of that conversation is vulgarization. And I think it's what you see on the university campuses now being framed as decolonization mm. is, is education is good, but it has been vulgarized. Um, and, and, and economics and even the capitalist system might have good in it, but it has been vulgarized by, by, by oppression and the oppressive mindset that mm-hmm. has, that has permeated into what might be good things, mm-hmm. um, and turned them into tools of oppression that continue to chain people today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, capitalism is a, is a beast on its own. I think that's, that's the other thing. It's, 
And there's something around this, which is now this rising black middle class, Rory, that we see, um, who've now got something to lose in the system, in this capitalistic system, um, which means that potentially that, that huge base of, um, uh, of, of black people that don't have access to the education, to resources might potentially never have that access because now there's, a number of people more than just the white people that were in apartheid that have something to lose. Well, he spoke about we're going to need to do something radical. I don't know if you heard him. He sort of said something radical might need to happen. He said it in passing, but mm. I think it speaks to to you know how do you change if this is what's happening? Let's in inverted commas say automatically yes. within our economy. The only way you're going to change it is by being very deliberate about it. It's not going to automatically change because we have, we have fallen into a particular mode of doing things, mm-hmm. into a pattern of behavior that perpetuates the same results. If we're going to come up with a different result, something deliberate has to happen. And mm. things like affirmative action, BE and so on are supposed to be deliberate measures mm. of, of trying to correct. The fact that they don't do as much as we want them to do says that we need to go back into the system and see what's wrong, starting from the education level and yeah. moving up. Yeah. All right. Someone who is on on the forefront of this uh, discussion is uh, a lady by the name of Ati Nangomsa Nkopa. Um, she's a Rhodes Must Fall activist. She's a Rhodes Scholar. Uh, she joins us now from East London. Uh, Ati, good morning to you. Hi. Thanks Can- for having me. Thank you for for joining our show. We've uh, we've had an in- interesting uh, discussion with the, the statistician Dr. Paddy Lehotla uh, about the stats, and he really he did go beyond the stats. You you are someone who is on the ground, radically trying to change the system that I suppose we we're speaking about. Give us your thoughts about where we are, just generally in terms of the system at the moment. Well, um, the more I think about it, uh, the more I begin to think that not very much has changed um, and that being a country that's supposed to have a terrible history but on the ground people are living the reality of that history and so while I'm hopeful about the future and the capacity of the of the youth to change things and steer the country in a different direction I'm quite cynical about how much things have changed um, from a history of colonialism, apartheid, etc. Ati, uh, we, so we, we're speaking about this link between apartheid, uh, race and poverty and uh, to what extent apartheid is still a driving factor. Um, the statistician general, Dr. Badi Lihotla, has just uh, given us deep insights into how the vulgarization, as he puts it, of education um, results in us missing out on the demographic dividend. In other words, black people, and he uses the future tense, he says we will continue uh, to be deprived of, of success and so on because the education system has been vulgarized and and we haven't gone far enough in order to change it. Now, you are an activist in the education space and there is constant speak about this thing around decolonization, which is which is something more recent. And obviously, when we hear things like decolonize, uh, we need to uh, science must fall and so on. People are very quick to dismiss uh, those statements and then uh, re- refuse to actually look at underlying what what is the attempt here, even if it's not being expressed in a way that makes sense. What is the attempt? Can you help us understand a bit about what are the attempts that you that that are being taken by activists on the ground in the education system to to remove this vulgarity uh, within the education system, and why is it important? 
Well, first, I must say that decolonization, particularly decolonizing education, isn't new. Um, it's something that many African countries at the point of, de- of um, decolonizing, so at the point of their liberation and independence, took upon themselves to do in their education systems. I mean, uh, um, the most predominant being in the Af- East African school within literature um, and higher education. So it isn't new. I think it's quite an, it's a newer phenomenon in the South African context. And so it becomes quite conflated with a lot of other things because um, very rarely in the minds of South Africans do we think that we are, col- that we are colonial subjects. We think more vividly about apartheid, etc. And the language that emulates out of or post-94, um, right, out of a part of diversity, of reconciliation. It's um, more an integrationist type of language. And so 20 years later, we find that things have not changed as much as we had thought and that we have um, a, an urgency, a need to change, particularly higher education and to colonize it. Because when we look more in depth at the substance of what is being taught at universities, the pedagogical approach to education, so the ways in which people are being taught, um, the underlying assumptions, the the, lo- the the assumptive logic of what education is, where it comes from, who can do it, and who can succeed in it, are still today um, very much grounded in colonial conceptions of peoples. So conceptions around who is um, who has power? Who has substantive substantive in- intelligence, and who doesn't? Right. So we find that even though a lot of people um, are encouraged to be educated, do in fact go through the education system, they are unable to do the things that they thought they would be able to do with the education that they get. More importantly, unable to move themselves out of a situation that resembles a history of a apartheid of colonialism um, and materially is impoverished because the tools through which that they get via the education system simply don't equip them to address their own context. Um, and as many find, they have to end up uh, feeding the beast that creates their reality. Ati, uh, help us out because, uh, you know, you, you raise this issue that uh, decolonization is not uh, a new phenomenon on the African continent. Um, granted, and you, and you mentioned some East African countries um, and, and other countries outside of South Africa that at their independence began uh, the, the movement, let's call it, to, to decolonize uh the education and perhaps other systems. Um, one might then look at this and say, but then, you know, it's not like they have done relatively much better than South Africa, for example. Economically, if you look at some of the development indicators, economic outcomes, and so on. So to what extent is this a theoretical uh, discussion that has no bearing ultimately on uh, on on the tangibles of human existence, uh, and to what extent? So, so as as colonized as as we might be, uh, one might then say, well, we're still better off than many of those countries that started the decolonization movement ages ago and decolonized their education and so on. What is the case? What what is the case? To, to do this, to, to decolonize, which goes to the tangibles of human existence and to our development indicators and economic indicators? Well, once again, it depends um, what prism you think 
better off from. And the prison that we think better off from is a Eurocentric one. Like um, how close in proximity, also in, in targets and aims are you to what European conceptions of development are. But just to, just to um, add a little bit to what I was saying, I was just using the example of East Africa. Decolonization is something that happened all throughout the world, that is continuing to happen throughout the world. In Australia, it, it was a deal in countries like Malaysia, like Singapore, etc. Because they found that it was important to re-educate their people about their own um, histories, but also about their own capacities. So these ideas of like development and the appropriations of capitalism that you see happening with Asian tigers are not magic. They come out of intense deliberations about what the state of their nation is and what the state of their own tailored development ought to look like. To that extent, they were a means of escaping Eurocentric conceptions of development and what those ought to look like and what those ought to produce for the people um, that exist in that context. But very crucial to ideas of decolonization are um, development conceptions about dependency and the ways in which the ways people educated can out of having to depend on those metropoles or those countries that used to be their colonial masters. Um, it's very important, but in South Africa, our thinking around dependency and context is very much racialized. And when we're thinking universities, when we're thinking higher education, we're not thinking the vast lands, the majority of people in the country. We're thinking specifically about the white population and how it is we can aspire um, to their sense of living, their value systems and the ways of their ways of life, which ultimately emanate out of colonialism, out of apartheid. But you know, we've transformed, reformed, and reconciled, and so we're told and taught very intensely um, from a young age to think differently about what those values are and what they tell for our for our context as <laughs> black South. Indians, colors, etc. We're really struggling with the line, but uh, we're just going to push on just a little bit, Ati. I, I just want to come back to what you say is the Eurocentric prism of looking at what development looks like and so on. And I, I still, and I'd love for you maybe at the end to share where people can engage further in these conversations because I think we, we're not doing it justice in the time that we have. But I'm still struggling because if you look at, um, for example, life expectancy, life expectancy, I don't imagine is any Thing that we can say is, is is an indicator that gets looked at through a Eurocentric prism. Are people living longer? Is is something that applies across the board? And if you look at uh, at where those indicators are, North Africa is 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 the is the highest performer, and then Southern Africa, and then all the others, East and West Africa that 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 were decolonized before us and started the decolonization process before us. So again, the question I think would still will still rest about. So what do you mean? then Eurocentric prisms of looking at things like development indicators, whether it's health, life expectancy, using life expectancy as one. Uh, Southern Africa still remains uh, still remains higher on some of those indicators, the critical indicators. Um, and and this is these are just human development indicators. How do you then say we're looking at it through a Eurocentric prism? Well, when we're thinking about... Um Life expectancy might be one that may more aptly be 
uh, universally applied in terms of like, it's a good thing if people live, the lower people live, um, the better off we are and the better off we are, they are at achieving the things we value about what it means to be human, et cetera, et cetera. But those aren't just the only development in the because I mean, so assets at the top are many of the other indicators around like economies, um, around literacy and no, not literacy, not literacy, economies and development in terms of like um, how it is that a country performs compared to other countries in and making money, right? Um, but very many conceptions of development have evolved from thinking just about like GDPs and those kinds of margins when thinking about the ways in which peoples are able to develop because recognize that the case to have really good indicators about the economy, et cetera, et cetera, but have about 50% of the population of people living very close to the poverty line. Um, and that country can be seen as a developing country, a country that's doing really well, Where, but you can still have most of the population living in dire poverty without prospects of getting out of that because agents of development are marred by the money that the small minority of people are making. And that reflects on the country as effectively doing well. Um, so I'm not, I'm not referring to... Yeah. I'm so sorry. I want to interrupt you for two seconds just to say we want to try and get you on your, on your phone, uh, because, uh, you're saying amazing things. But we can't really hear you. I'm going to try just for two minutes to, uh, call you on your phone. Um, and then we can continue the conversation. Let's see if that, uh, gets a, a better line. So let's, uh, let's take that onto your phone and see if we can get that. I'm interested in, in one thing, Rory, that, that Ati did say, which was about, um, the Asian tigers. And the way in which they used education. Ati, you there? Yeah, I'm here. Much yeah, better, here. much better. If you could just turn your, if you could just turn your, uh, your computer down or wherever you're listening from Cliff Central, that would help. Um, yeah. There we go. Now we've got you. Perfect. <laughs> much better. Okay. Um, so just Ati, very quickly. Um, I think that Rory asked a very good question and maybe carry on because we did miss a lot of what you were trying to say. Um, please continue. Um, yeah, so I was saying that uh, there are some development indicators that are actually universally applicable. But in terms of looking at South Africa and thinking about like particularly education, how we have the best universities in Africa, but those universities are still named after people like Cecil John Rhodes, still hoist statues of people like um, Fervut, still teach uh, politics that is quasi-denialist of the impacts and realities of apartheid on black South Africans, Indians, um, colored people, still teach international relations, philosophy, etc., that is white supremacist and thinks of Africa, the very place in which those universities are in, as marginal to the conversation of global thinking, of global development, um, etc. So it's possible to have like indicators that say, oh my God, um, this UCT are the best universities on the continent, 
And then when you look demographically at those universities, you find that the populations of, for example, white people who represent 6 or 8% of the population are grossly um, overrepresented. That the population of Indian populations in South Africa, which represent um, a small, small minority, are replaced for um, black and grossly overrepresented. And when you look at the experiences of black Africans in those universities, which are supposedly the best on the continent, when you think about the fact that a university like Wits didn't have a full black South African woman professor in 2015, then you wonder what it means to be the best, and you wonder what those development um, indicators really mean and who they refer to, who they prioritize in terms of thinking development. It's interesting what you're saying because I think there's almost uh, two two uh, different issues. The first is how many people are getting educated. You know, I think with regards to the reference you mentioned earlier with the Asian Tigers, they really prioritized education, both at a lower and higher level. And then what is being educated? So, so sorry, that might not come out correctly. The type of education that actually is being taught and who's teaching it, which, which seem to be two different levels. I mean, if you look at um, our neighbors in Zimbabwe, they've, they've had quite a high education um, population for quite a while What was being taught Was probably not ideal But the numbers of people that were being taught And the system that that They used because they didn't th- like They, they used the, the colonizer's system um, yeah. Supported them potentially In getting educated Is there is there a little bit of to and fro here Is there a little bit of saying You know If we look at the Zimbabwean example And Zimbabwe is known For having a, a Really really Well educated Population Even with the political uh, Instability And the hyperinflation And so on and so on Is there a little bit of, of um, To and fro Is there a little bit of Saying If we get educated In one way It means that Those educa- those who are educated It's the responsibility of them To then change What is being educated Well uh, I don't know if I I'm making really sense. <laughs> no, I hear you. I hear you. Um, one thing feeds into the other. Both things are really very important. It's important in any context to educate people because that, like um, the, the the professor before was saying, the doctor before was saying, when people's minds are being um, stimulated, they are better able to do the things that they need yes, to do yes, to yes. make their societies work and to make their communities function. But it's important what people are being taught. Mm. Um, And that isn't just uh, in reference to colonialism, but the colonial colonial apartheid context is quite important because there you get an indication of what must necessarily be the thing that is being taught. And colonialism is quite definitionally an exclusive um, project. It's a project that purports in massive um, violence on particular groups in order to implant and to uphold other groups. Now, it's possible to teach a lot of people, such as was the case in Zimbabwe, under um, what was then conceived of as the Queen's instruction, the Queen's tongue, under a very much British education system. And to have all of the indicators about, you know, Zimbabwe being um, 
the breadbasket of Africa and having potentially like some of the highest literacy rates on the continent and being, you know, a shining star, finding the support of the Western world, etc. And then at the zenith of that project have that society completely collapse because the thing which is being taught has nothing to do with the context wherein it is being taught. Mm. And the substance of that education is effectively violent to the very people it is teaching. Mm. So Zimbabwe is one of the best and the brightest, the one to which everybody looks to. But the people in that country, in that context, are violated by that education and it doesn't produce um, a living for them that is humane to begin with. So putting a bandage on kind of a colonial past and history by saying, yeah. no, it's fine. Um, we can just just teach everyone, yeah. but not restore the mechanism of the teaching dignity. people and not yeah. address, yes, yeah, yeah. not address the dignity of those people, not address the context to which those people must go back to once they are educated is only breeding a society that um, is a power gig and that's bound to Ate. implode um, on itself. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we, unfortunately, we've run out of time. Our producer's going crazy outside. Um, we're <laughs> probably going to have to call you in again for, for a longer conversation on this. This is really, really intriguing. Uh, thank you so much for your time. Uh, I think there's a lot for us to chew on, um, but we'll definitely be calling you in. Maybe we need to do a part two and a part three of this. Thanks for having me. Thank Ati, thank you. Thank you for your time. Wow, fantastic. Fantastic guest, Chief. It was, it was hard to uh, discuss uh, all of that. And uh, for a Wednesday morning, you've got you to have your thinking brain on, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Let's get out. Let's go. Let's go march. Let's go march. Let's go march. Let's go march. Frankly speaking, one hour. If you missed any of it, cliffcentral.com forward slash frankly speaking. And uh, we will continue this conversation. Thank you to our guests. And we'll see you again. Ciao, ciao. Ciao, video. Cliffcentral.com.